This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Patrick Brown continued to make headlines this past week, two weeks after he was disqualified from the federal conservative leadership race. On Monday, he announced he's running for re-election as mayor of Brampton, which has led to many in the Conservative Party now thinking Pierre Polyev's victory as federal conservative leader is a done deal. And while Polyev seems to be resonating with Conservative Party members, is his point of view on Canada resonating with Canadians? Libby spoke with our Recovering Politicians panel about the dynamics shaping up in the contest for Conservative leader. Howard Hampton is a former Ontario NDP leader. Charles Souza is a former Liberal Ontario finance minister. And Lisa Raitt is a former deputy leader of the Federal Conservative Party. There's a lot to be said for the ability to get the vote out and who is going to be motivated enough to actually fill in the ballot. That's the only part where I'd say is uncertain. But I mean, from my vantage point, it certainly seems as if Pierre has a commanding lead. What do you think that means? I mean, there's this ongoing, I would call it, battle for the soul of the Conservative Party. Does that worry you? No, not at all. I believe that what I know from Conservatives and from caucus is that whoever wins, they will rally around. I mean, you get, you, get, you get a chance to run an election when you become the leader. Now, what they do with you after you lose, that's a totally different topic. But certainly you get a chance. Um, and I think that that's exactly what will happen. And uh, there's a policy convention that comes up uh, before the next election. And that will be an opportunity for whoever the leader is to rally the troops as well. So um, I don't think that this is a battle for the heart and soul of the party. I believe that there are two different visions of what the future looks like and the the commentary around it. I, certainly that's being presented, but that's what a leadership race is all about, is presenting two visions and whoever wins, wins. Charles Souza, one of the things people say about all this is that it's good for the Liberals. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, we've heard that before. Uh, Kathleen Windsor, we thought she had it in the bag when Doug Ford won. And look what happened, right? I mean, there's a, there is a distinction a very great distinction between Polyev and, and, and what would be seen as a more moderate liberal or someone from the more extreme left. So it, it, Polyev is appealing to those disenchanted, those that are frustrated, but it's fascinating that this man is a product of the system. It's fascinating when I watch him do his videos of his home or his renovations, and yet here are those that are seeking Canada for that very freedom. And my father, he actually... He actually fled a fascist regime in, in post-war Europe to find that freedom. And he's now claiming that we don't have it. And I find that infuriating when we have a duly elected government in a minority, no less, who has to be held to account. I'm not, I'm not defending Trudeau. He has his faults, by sh- for sure. But that silver tongue of Polyev is making an impact and is appealing to people. 
one of the things people say is that one of the reasons he has such good backing from caucus is that is exactly that he's a good performer in the house of commons he he's a good orator though he's not exactly a conciliatory guy howard i i look there's <laughs> there are all kinds of dynamics to this all right we are living in very volatile very difficult times and it's not just canada um, it is virtually everywhere in the world, and, and you see governments that uh, seemingly uh, had majority support, and, and suddenly are not so uh, not so strong in their support. You see leaders being replaced. You see uh, international agreements being torn up, or at least partially torn up. So, I mean, these are very volatile times, uh, and, and so. All of these dynamics uh, enter into this, and and I think you know Mr. Polyeva has uh, seized the the opportunity, uh, probably better than anyone at this point. But how this is going to wash out in a federal election, um, I, I'd be very hesitant to predict because there are so many things at play here, so many dynamics, and so many things that could happen. I mean, uh, just today I'm reading a piece that says. A lot of our problem with the cost of living and with inflation has to do more with the huge amounts of money that were spent by the United States to you know, goose their economy during the worst parts of COVID. And of course, being such a trading partner of the United States, uh, you know, we suffer from that. So, so there are just so many dynamics here. Howard Hampton, former Ontario NDP leader, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario finance minister, and Lisa Raitt, former deputy leader of the Federal Conservative Party. Fightback's Recovering Politicians panel heard every Tuesday after the noon news. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. I'm Jane Brown. Until recently, John Tory had very little declared competition in his third bid for Toronto's mayor. But that has changed with the candidacy of Gil Peñalosa, who filed his nomination papers and entered the Toronto mayoral race earlier this month. Gil Peñalosa is an urbanist who is known, respected, and consulted by people around the world. He is the founder of 880 Cities, a nonprofit that advocates for making public spaces accessible to all. Gil Peñalosa is a major champion of parks. In Bogota, where he is from, he led the design and construction of over 200 parks, including a 113-hectare park in the heart of that city. He has a whole arsenal of ideas, including cancelling the rebuild of the Gardner Expressway. And he joined Libby in studio on Wednesday. I think that over the last eight years, the city has become less affordable, less equitable, less sustainable. I think that the city is falling apart. Uh, in At the beginning of June, half of the water fountains were not even working. You go to the public washrooms and they are shut down, they're closed. You're going to take public transit and the escalators are broken. Uh, the garbages are over full. I think there are lots and lots of symptoms everywhere. And I think that I have more managerial capacity. I have an MBA. I've been managing companies in the pol- public sector, in the private sector. And I'm totally committed for the most vulnerable. I think that I want a Toronto for everyone. And if we ask the listeners, they will realize that Toronto is not for everyone, but it could be. 
we're talking to you on a day with breaking news that has everyone in a tizzy. It's speculation, but uh, the Toronto Star broke a story that the province is going to give Toronto and Ottawa more power. The mayor, John Tory, has released a statement saying he's in favor. I know there's been talk about this for years. Right now, the mayor of the city is just one vote on council. Uh, do you think it would help get things done? I think that Toronto doesn't have a, lo- a lack of power. It has lack of ideas, lack of vision, lack of managerial capacity to get things done. The reality is that I don't know any any vote on any significant issue that the mayor has lost in the last eight years. Everything that he has wanted, he has won overwhelmingly. He has a group of councillors that vote over 90% with him on everything. So I think it's it's a poor excuse to say that it has been because of lack of power. And also, I think I don't find it appropriate that four years ago, the mayor met with the same premier and they changed the rules of the games within 100 days of the election. Now the two of them are meeting again and changing the rules within 100. Why not have done it 100 days ago? Or why not do it 100 days after the election? Are you, are you suggesting that, that John Tory had something to do with the reduction of those seats? Well, he clearly mentioned that he has spoken about this with Premier Ford. Uh, he also did, said it four years ago. Uh, so, yes, I, I, I do think, and I'm not saying if it's good or bad either idea. I'm just saying that are not ideas to come out within a hundred days of an election. Within a hundred days, we need to let citizens have total free uh, thought. Gil, I'm looking at the clock. We're out of time. There are a lot of topics we haven't even got to, like Vision Zero. Uh, so we'll have to have you uh, come back and talk some more, hopefully soon. Before we go, though, I want to know about your campaign. Have you raised money? Yes, well, our website is guildformayor.ca. We're getting lots of volunteers and uh, we are getting lots of people giving money. If you give $100, the city gives you back 75 so your cost is only 25 And I would love to come back to talk about Vision Zero because the city has been talking Vision Zero but doing zero vision. I, want, I, can make, I can make streets safe. We can do it. And that is a top priority to me. A person driving in Toronto hits a person walking every three and a half hours. That's unacceptable. Cities like Oslo, last year they had zero pedestrian deaths, zero cyclists. Why? Because they did implement Vision Zero. But in Toronto, we have done almost nothing about making the city safer to walk. And everybody walks. Every single tree begins and ends by walking. We walk to the car, we walk to public transit, we walk to places. So Vision Zero, I'm totally committed to Vision Zero, to the 15-minute city, but with actions, not with talking. It's about having a vision, but having action, action, action. Toronto mayoral challenger Gil Penalosa in conversation with Libby on Wednesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, special powers for big city mayors. A good idea? We discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. 
Welcome back. This past week, Toronto City Councillors met for the last time before the October election, which had a lot of people dishing about why the meeting included an agenda item on putting cats on leashes. That proposal got voted down, by the way. And in the midst of this week's council meetings, a Toronto Star report said Premier Doug Ford is about to implement strong mayor powers for the mayors of Toronto and Ottawa. Later that day, the premier confirmed he intends to make this happen and will also ensure any veto a mayor implements could be overturned by a two-thirds council vote. Before those details were released by Doug Ford, Libby was joined by Toronto City Councillors James Pasternak and Mike Layton to discuss. First, we got to establish this isn't about Tory. It's not about left and right. It's about whether or not, or, or what happens when these powers fall into the wrong hands. And you that, wouldn't have anyone in mind there, would you? Well, I, 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 I wouldn't exactly, but you don't have to go back so far in recent memory uh, to, to look at examples of when I think a lot of people would agree they wouldn't want a strong mayor in power of the city. And if you look at, at, at Mayor Tory's record over the last two terms, it's not like he's struggling getting his agenda passed. Uh, I support some of that agenda. I have supported a uh, a good portion of that agenda, given the council agrees on about 95% of everything unanimously when we go to city council. Um, but it's, it's about that other 5% and what damage that a veto power could do put in the wrong hands. So I think we got to strip out our trust for uh, Mayor Tory in this instance and say, what happens if, if, if the uh, tables are reversed? You know, a mayor can win with under 30% of the vote in the city of Toronto because of the way the system works. And, and that's important to remember that we could have a mayor that doesn't, certainly doesn't represent the majority, but have an enormous amount of power over what decisions are made on the city. I don't think it'll speed things up because I think that There'll still be a significant amount of debate that our communities will want to have and that we will want to see the information that's coming forward uh, as, uh, as, as we determine how we're going to implement some of the policies. And let's just, it's not just about the veto power. It's also about this notion of being able to hire and fire senior staff. What if that mayor doesn't like the answer that they've received from a senior staff person? Those senior staff are then going to be worried for their jobs if all of a sudden they're at the whim of the mayor uh, whether or not they're going to work there the next week. Let's move along to Councillor Pasternak. Now, first of all, we don't know the shape of this particular strong mayor powers, whether it will have a veto. But, you know, a lot of the very basic, basic things in this city are not getting done. I would simply say that the the, um, the mayor in this city has enormous powers already. I mean, many of the things they're talking about, about winning votes on the council floor, uh, appointments to standing committees, um, the uh, serving at the pleasure of the mayor for senior staff, he already has all those powers, and I'm not sure what more you could add to it. And I would also say uh, that when the mayor wants to win a vote, they usually can. There's enough support here uh, for the mayor to, mayor to carry his agenda. He loses very rarely. And I'm really not sure what added powers uh, would would bring him. Um, at the same time, um, I, I would agree that, you know, our current mayor is extremely uh, responsible uh, leader. And that's, that's why, uh, that's why he's doing so well, uh, through very difficult times of the city. It is true that you might have someone in power in the future who would abuse those powers. 
What would you like to leave us with? Uh, 20 seconds each, starting with Councillor Pasternak. I, I would simply say that, you know, I, I was born and raised in Toronto. It was a job, a dream job to become a city councillor. And all the councillors, regardless of their political stripe work, long, long hours every day to make the city stronger and better and to serve the, the local constituents. And we want to keep that. We want to remain, remain the voice of our local constituents and advocate them uh, at City Hall and make for, for a better city. Mike Layton? Uh, you know, look, James just made a really great point. Uh, you know, I think people want their voices heard at City Hall. We can disagree with one another, but d- debate can be a healthy thing. Uh, people want to ensure that we're getting the best outcomes, and that means I, I think a multitude of voices in- engaged in the decision-making uh, is actually a really positive thing for the city. Toronto City Councillor Mike Layton, who represents Ward 11, University Rosedale, and Councillor James Pasternak of Ward 6, York Centre. They spoke with Libby before Premier Ford confirmed he intends to give the mayors of Toronto and Ottawa special powers to veto agenda items while allowing for those vetoes to be overturned by a two-thirds council vote. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We had a couple of days this past week with near-record-breaking heat right across Ontario. It wasn't as bad as the situation in London, England, and other cities in Europe, where temperatures were in the 40s for a time. But globally, we are facing more and more extreme weather, which can be a danger to health. Libby was joined to discuss this pressing issue by Dr. Blair Feltmate, professor and head of the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation at the University of Waterloo, along with Dr. Samantha Green, a family physician at St. Michael's Hospital and assistant professor at the University of Toronto. The elderly, uh, small children, pregnant women, and anyone with a chronic medical condition uh, is most at risk of heat-related illness, including heat exhaustion and the more serious and potentially deadly heat stroke. Uh, And people with chronic conditions uh, can also see worsening of those conditions. So lung disease, heart disease, kidney disease, and mental illness can all be exacerbated uh, by the heat. Uh, And I would also add that, um, you know, people living in poverty, people in racialized communities, uh, people with access to resources such as air conditioning are, of course, most vulnerable and most at risk um, in the heat. Dr. Feltmate, so far, I guess uh, we're lucky in that we're not seeing the extremes that they're experiencing in Europe. That's correct. But the uh, nonetheless, you know, heat is on the rise across uh, multiple uh, Canadian cities. And we've we've seen what things look like when when things go bad in Canada previously. For example, in 2021, we had 619 people die prematurely due to extreme heat in BC. And then again, in in 2018, 86 people died uh, prematurely in Quebec due to extreme heat. And we do know through modeling that we are going to experience more extreme heat going forward. Um, For example, right now in Toronto, uh, we typically experience about uh, 12 to 14 days per summer where the temperature exceeds 30 degrees Celsius. In about 30 years from now, migrating upwards, uh, on around 2050, 2060, we will see about 55 days per summer where the temperature exceeds 30 degrees Celsius. And right now, our maximum daily temperature tends to top out at around 36, 37 degrees Celsius. We're probably pretty close to that limit today. 
but by 2050, that uh, that uh, maximum daily temperature will increase by about three to five degrees Celsius, up to 39 to 41 uh, degrees Celsius. So uh, the heat is coming for sure. What do you say, Dr. Green, to people who are working outside in the heat? Should there be a maximum cutoff for that for construction workers? Uh, yeah, I think we do need to be more cognizant of that. Uh, and in particular for workers who may be, you know, working in the gig economy or who have, uh, you know, less less job security, uh, I think we need to pay more attention to heat-related risk, uh, certainly. Do you have any special advice for people who are on a bicycle? I mean, I think just pay attention to how you're feeling and uh, make sure that you do take a break and, and cool off uh, throughout the day. Drink lots of water, even if you're not feeling thirsty. Um but but really, like I think this is something we need to tackle as a society, and 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 uh, think about ways that we can regulate, uh, you know, act, people who are working in the heat. Adding more green space in urban centers is is a great way to cool, um, you know, neighborhoods that often are poor neighborhoods, racialized neighborhoods that don't have adequate green space, and those neighborhoods are up to fifteen degrees hotter. Uh, on a hot day like today compared with surrounding neighborhoods that do have adequate green space. So by planting more trees, um, takes a while for them to grow, cooling the neighborhood, but we're also actually directly sinking carbon into the ground. Uh, so additional co-benefits to mitigate this crisis. Uh, and we're also providing access to nature, uh, which we know is good for people's health and well-being. So, uh, so that's one really important intervention. And I'll just, one final thought is, uh, I also think we need to be intervening um, with with strategies that that both help us adapt and can can help us mitigate this crisis. So reduce emissions. So that would be um, really retrofitting buildings to use more efficient air conditioning devices and uh, heat pumps, which can heat in the winter and cool in the summer, uh, and, and implementing other ways, other strategies to both reduce emissions and help us adapt. Dr. Samantha Green, family physician at St. Michael's Hospital and assistant professor at the University of Toronto, and Dr. Blair Feltmate, a professor and head of the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation at the University of Waterloo. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Frank in Concord phoned about soaring temperatures and climate change. I'm a mechanic, like 45 years. And uh, back in my early days, we had a problem with the uh, engines producing too much uh, carbon monoxide because they were inefficient. Now, all the internal combustion engines are so efficient that they produce more carbon dioxide while we breathe out, and the animals... Uh, creates that greenhouse effect, and now we uh, we we fix one problem for the respiratory with the carbon monoxide. And now we created another one. 
Phil in Oakville phoned to defend Pierre Poliev in his bid for the next federal conservative leader. I've been listening a little bit to uh, the comments about Pierre being so far to the right. And I, I would like to point out that in the last 50 years, we've been driven inexorably to the left so far that the center is no longer defined properly. And that uh, Patrick Brown, as I heard him state last week, he was the only one that could win the election because Pierre was so far to the right. But I think that Pierre actually, and uh, unfortunately the name Donald Trump came up, uh, a person who actually did point out how far the left had driven us. And uh, unfortunately the right has been asleep, I think, for the last 50 years. And now the center is being redefined. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Patricia in Toronto, who phoned to say how impressed she is with Toronto mayoral challenger Gil Penalosa, who joined Libby on Wednesday. Gil, wow. I was just blown away with this guy. Never heard of him, but he will get my vote. He is right. The city is falling apart. The subways are full of the homeless. I was walking home last night through the subway at the center. Four people smoking up the crack in the subway. And the, the homeless are taking over the subway. That's why we have all these delays. They have an area underground. They found a subway um, that's been shut down, and that's where they're all living. And that's why we've had delays on our trains. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback@zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at FightBackLibby. And call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.